0: The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with
1: Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent.
2: Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, episode 119. Here with the one and only Johnny Cupcakes Campbell. Johnny, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: So happy to. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad we were able to meet. It's great to see you again,
2: dude. This is awesome. Um, the very first time we met, so I I, I wasn't sure whether or not I was going to do this project, Unlocking the Cage. I had the idea. I was like, but I didn't really like fighting at all. I, I I wasn't a fan anymore. I couldn't understand why I did it. I was like, not really feeling it, like going out here. But I was like, I'll, I'll try it. And so about halfway through, um, there was a Cage Titans fight. And I went to it with my buddy in Plymouth. It was such a cool venue. But honestly, there were so many fucking fights. There were a lot of fights. I was tired. I had uh, fucked up my ribs earlier that morning, a, a jiu-jitsu match I shouldn't have gone in uh, against Matt Santos. And, okay. uh, and then, but we stuck around, and you were the final fight and it was amazing you and what was his name Matsuda
0: Sataki, yeah yeah
2: yeah so yeah. dude that was a fantastic fight it was it was so exciting uh, it, it was just an incredible fight um, and then I think I met you at your house a couple of days later and we had a really cool interview uh, some of the stuff that you said to me really stuck uh, you introduced the power of now to me which I read on that trip which really made a difference in my life um, yeah man so I just wanted to thank you for all that and uh yeah, it's been amazing watching you since.
0: I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Uh, you know, all, everything that was uh, that led up to this was super, super like serendipitous. I feel like I didn't even know that you were at uh, the fight that night. I remember you had been like in the gym. I think uh, my my gym, oh, yeah. social Sport Fighting. But I don't know if I was there or or wasn't there that night because I was kind of unaware of the project. And then next thing I know. Um, I'm doing the interview, and then fast forward a few years later, then we're at Brown doing like another one in front of a class. It's very, very cool. And uh, so, yeah, I'm lo- super happy to be here,
2: dude. And, and that interview at Brown was pretty awesome. And thank you so much for coming through on that, because, dude, that was a that was like a almost a dream come true. Because honestly, when I went to Brown, I felt like the motherfucker that shouldn't be there. Like I was the tattooed guy. I had a motorcycle. I was uh, sure. reckless. Not the smartest guy. Poor. Uh, So I never felt like I belonged. And so for Professor Kennedy to bring me in to give me the opportunity to do a guest lecture, that was amazing. And then to have such a good conversation with you. uh, I think everyone was impressed. I know, yeah, it made him him a fan for sure. So that was huge of you to come in and do that. I appreciate that. Yeah,
0: I'm happy to. I love doing things like that. And, uh, you know, the universe is so uh interesting i remember that time i forget exactly what i was like thinking or trying to manifest but your text kind of just came out of nowhere and you were like hey do you want to do an interview at brown like whenever it was like the next day or something mm. and it was it felt like i was like compelled to it was like clearly this was a sign or a you know a you know, an off-ramp, it was like, I have to go and do this, and that was uh, super fun, one of my favorite memories as far as, like, interviews and things that I've done since being an MMA fighter, it's like, uh, those are some of my, you know, standouts, so, yeah, I'm super happy to, to have been able to do
2: it. That's awesome, man, yeah, no, that that, that was really cool. Um, Now, let's talk, about, well, there's a couple things I want to talk about. First off, let's go into your last fight, which was, Fucking awesome uh, Dude I, I don't watch MMA Like I, I rarely watch fights It has to be someone That I know Care about whatever um, But I was watching this one On my computer downstairs My son comes down he, he could not understand Like why I was so excited He's never seen me that Like happy and pumped up Cause dude That's it, awesome Yeah I, w- I was just so excited About the fight And then when you Fucking pulled it off And you won uh, I, I was thrilled But yeah my, my son was like I've never seen you that happy
1: No kidding <laughs> yeah. That's awesome
0: yeah, something about fighting and watching people that you know while fighting and, you know, knowing their story, too. It's I've got re- reached out, to from a lot of people who, um, uh, more so than ever, where they're, everyone's so happy to see me succeed. Like, I've had winning streaks and been really close to making it to, like, the next level. But nobody was ever, like, coming out of the woodwork to be like, oh, we're so happy to see you succeed. And now to be here um, doing what I'm doing and what I love and to have so many people... Like sharing the excitement and the happiness just definitely proves that um, I'm doing the right thing on on this like journey or path. And people viewing it from the outside are invested even in a in a way. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I appreciate your support very much.
2: Awesome, man. And
0: I could feel it for sure that
2: night. You know, everybody's. Man. That 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 was yeah that that was incredible. Now, how short a notice did you take that by? Because that's one thing I want to talk about is. Um, your willingness to take fights with very little, you know, on very short notice. So, h- how quickly did you have to take that one? And I think the one before you took on very short notice as well, right? Yeah,
0: yep. Yeah, the one down in Brazil, I took on like 14 days notice, flew down to Brazil. Uh, and then for this past one with Corralis was about 30 days or so. So, um, and then having to quarantine for Bellator for the last seven or six days was oh, wow. it's like, so I got three weeks of good training and then had to pretty much shut it down. I was like shadow boxing my hotel room while quarantined for, uh, for workouts. So, yeah it's just um it's being comfortable really comfortable with who i am and myself and what i've been doing and really having such a better grasp on my brain you know like i can remember trying to manifest things and sitting down and and trying to visualize and I would just be flooded with negative things, like insanely negative, (laughs) you know, pictures in my head of, of, you know, sickness or what disease and things and, and, and being broke when I'm literally trying to picture money and then seeing a zero, zero, zero in my bank account or some shit. And I'm like, no, stop doing that. And now I just have such control. I know what I've been focusing on. So when I'm in that moment going out to fight Henry Krause on 30 days notice, and I think 21 victories, and I picture that and it's like embossed 21. I can see the number in my head. You know, Bill Mahoney, my coach, he said, you know, you should maybe call out James Gallagher if you win. He didn't even know if I was going to win. Um, and I and I, I could see it in my head. I could see myself on the microphone talking so clearly and I just could never do that for the longest time. So now when I take a fight on 30 days notice, I think I I can be ready. I know that and I feel better, faster and stronger. I was thinking about it the other day in the shower, you know, lots of weird thoughts come to you in the shower and it was like if I fought 22 year old me right now, I would I could kill him with my bare hands, in within a minute, probably. So at 34, I really feel like I'm at a peak of, of athletic performance that maybe some dudes do peak out at 18 or 19, or running back sometimes have to retire at 30, but me, personally, I feel so good, so um, with these short notice fights, it's just a supreme confidence, even though I've lost 13 fights. So many people wanna be like, oh, you've lost 13 times, but I, I don't know it's it's I feel so confident that it, it's like I didn't even lose fights but um, it's just learning experiences
2: in the combination of not only the your physical and the skills but the mental I think is huge I think the mental part of it that's what I always sucked at I was always just so down myself. So, what did you do that was different? Like, did you? I mean, was it books? Was it just meditation? What What helped you get to this next level of being to really, you know, see what you needed to see? Yeah,
0: uh, pr- I, it's got to be practice. That's the only thing that I that I know that's been consistently. Um, That I've been doing consistently. I mean, when I first discovered, we'll say, the law of attraction. You know, I I I attracted some um, some TED talks that kind of opened my eyes a little bit, and then some like kind of strange books, um, like um, Prometheus Rising, and some and a few and a few others that were just they weren't quite the law of attraction books, but they were like almost hinting at it in a way and and since then um it's been incredibly difficult um i've heard it called like you know you're like a seed in the ground and depending on how negative you were your seed is is deeper in the ground and it just takes longer to kind of to come up and break through the surface and i am no doubt i was you know miles into the ground for sure i mean it's just so negative. Um, I hated my life. I hated myself. I attempted to kill myself at least once or twice. Um, uh, just an utter hatred of walking around and hating myself and my fellow man. My fellow man I hated surely because I was hating myself through them. But I mean, just so much anger. Like, fuck my life. I hate my life. That Those are words that I would just say on a minute-to-minute basis. And now... Man, just through practice, those affirmations of like, "Mm -mm, my life is perfect, everything's working for me, Um, you, you know, whatever it is that, that um, thank you. Simply, you know, so ungrateful, such an ungrateful human being I was for the longest time, and now I really understand what it's like to be to be grateful because. Of the practice it's um, it's not something that just happened overnight it took me quite a long time and I had to lose things like fights and 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 whatnot um, and ruin relationships or whatnot and then in those moments that's when you kind of realize when you have almost nothing then you're like okay well what is it that I have oh I have these thoughts in my head and most of them are fucked so Mm -hmm. why is that and eventually uh, with drugs too, I think mushrooms and marijuana and even caffeine and things like that can kind of like just edge you towards that positivity, even though they're not going to do it. You have to do it, but they can help and set the environment for a positive mind. So, yeah, just practice. Never giving up on myself either. I never, I never got to a point where I felt like, nah, this shit's stupid. Like a lot of you say, oh, you create your reality. I swear, oh, you're, you know, you're sick right now. You can heal yourself because your thoughts are what made you sick. And people are like, that's that's stupid. What are you talking about? And I never got that. As soon as I was told, your mind creates your reality, I was like, oh, duh. Holy crap. That's so obvious. That's mm. so obvious. Since kindergarten, I've noticed coincidences and things I talked about with my friends. And then they cropped up in media or my parents would start talking. And it was like, why is that? Why is that? And now I know it just took a long time for it to really, like, set in.
2: Dude, and that's amazing. That's... Uh hearing you talk about your self-hatred and dude that that was me man I, I was fucking always in front of a mirror just ready to do it with a razor blade at dude. brown dude i i had a gun in my mouth so many different nights and like uh yeah and then i was just so angry at everyone because i hated myself and uh but i think that's important to share with people because like you were saying earlier off, off camera like fuck, we're we can appreciate that that much more because we've been through that stuff and we've overcome it and now we are more grateful and yeah dude every day i'm grateful for each day um so i think that's amazing to hear i'm so glad to hear that coming from you as well i appreciate it so now let's talk about why you fight why you continue to fight At, at brown something you said really stuck with me it was kind of uh and i don't want to misquote it but more on like almost being immortal and doing something important um and because especially with all the sacrifices not not only the the time the money maybe missed opportunities uh injuries like your ear just everything true so why are you fighting has that changed and yeah what what is the real reason why you keep at it Uh,
0: so love probably is like, you know, without being too cliche, I saw Gary V do, um, a short video clip and somebody asked him, when was the time that you were closest to quitting? And he said, quitting never, never. And he said, I don't want to BS or anything, but why would you quit something you love? Like, what am I going to quit fishing and quit playing football? No, I love those things. Being an entrepreneur for him is what he loves. And fighting is literally, it's the most fun. I mean, watching, if you look real close at that fight with Corrales, I was having a blast through about about 80% of it. The last bit was getting a little tough because I was tired, but I mean, I'm in there like talking to him and and like making funny noises and stuff when he's missing punches. It is just the most fun thing I've ever done. I I, I can't totally express how fun it is because it's this mixture of like, you are there for sure like I'm there being an observer and also kind of the the driver but my body is so much smarter than my head is at fighting I mean I can't take full credit for what happens in the cage cuz my body is just a, is like is just incredible at what it does and it's because of what I've been you know programming it to do for so long and practicing for so long so um it's just so much fun but ultimately still though that is probably the case of like i want to be maybe remembered or what have you i i can feel i am one of the greatest fighters to ever touch the planet period i know that and now i still have a little bit of time to to accomplish that goal and make it so that in a hundred years people stay say oh fighting Johnny Cupcakes Campbell, you gotta watch this guy fight because what that motherfucker does is fighting. Some of these other people don't fight. Some of these other people do other things, and that's cool. And some of them win a lot, but I fight, and I want people to remember that. and And also, yeah, I, I before I really kind of hit my stride, you could say there was a point where I was like, well, I want to be rich. I want to have a lot of money, and. You know, I I like to write and I love to do all these things, and it's like fighting is to me for me. It feels resonates like that is the most like fun, I guess you say, or effortless way towards that of like I want to have m- money that will last for my family to to be able to live off of. It, you could say so. Um, so it's multifaceted. I f- love it. I happen to love every second of it. And then, um, yeah, to be able to put my name into history books is something that, for whatever reason, has been with me for a long, long time. Uh, and then, money, money, money. This, this. Everybody loves fighting. Every human being loves fighting. This Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier fight. So many people are pumped for it because Conor kind of transcends just fighting, and that's what I feel like I can do. I can become more than just a fighter, an entertainer, and then, you know, a.
2: yeah because i was gonna say for people that have not watched you fight uh it is definitely entertaining it is uh it it is exciting there's no sitting around there's no just holding position it's uh it's it's exciting so that leads me to training now how how careful are you with training how often do you spar you i mean shit. anyone watching the corrales fight if they see the intensity of your punches and everything, like that seems like sparring would be pretty difficult. Uh, so, so how do you handle sparring?
0: Yeah, so I mean at this point I I don't spar spar very much Right now I'm sparring a tiny bit more Because I'm I'm actually fighting in August now August 1st So um, I've been ramping it up a tiny bit But we go very light I have Ken Moy um, Who is one of my best friends And I've been training with him for Man, probably like 10 years now And he is just an incredible training partner Fantastic martial artist And we're both able to spar each other virtually egoless Mm. with like a diminished speed, but not intensity, if that makes any sense, and we're able to, I'm able to throw things at him that as if they were full power, but without full power, so not ever really concussing him, and then him, the same to me, and then we grapple really freaking hard when we do grapple, and we keep it very respectful. We're both very smart, we know, oh, you just caught me with that, I'm gonna respect that. Where like some people maybe, you know, I go 50% with them, and they like walk through all my shots, but Kin knows, Okay, that probably would have knocked me out. So then mm-hmm. he'll respond accordingly. So when we do spar, it's so very uh, intelligently. Um, and I've done so many rounds. It, fe- it feels like I'm sparring. Now. When I fight at this mm-hmm. point, I'm going out to the fight, and it doesn't even feel like there's almost any danger anymore. It used to be that I would be in the back of my head. Oh, this is dangerous. I could get injured. Now, it doesn't feel that way. It feels like I'm so in control that I, I can... Can, can mitigate that that danger or that uh, risk. So, um, yeah, training is is a mind uh, f- a fuck. Though it's so difficult. Do you go as hard as you can? Then you get hurt. Are you um, are you helping others get better or are you being selfish? Um, I've cut training partners out of my life effectively. Um, several of them where I almost don't go with them because they're not in it for the team. They're in it to beat up their friends. They're in it to, to maybe feel better about themselves or whatever. And I need brain cells and a strong body for the fight. So I grapple hard, um, and then we do very very hard conditioning work for you know interval training and things like that. But sparring is um, few far between and very very light. Huh? Awesome.
2: Okay, now that that's awesome to hear because dude i spent the last three years looking at uh brain damage yeah yes no. so and and i went into it thinking i'm completely fine like I, i'm fine my wife is telling me oh you're completely fine but i have friends that played football at brown that didn't even go on to fight or do anything stupid that are calling me telling me they're in brain studies um you know i'm, I'm worried about different fighters so i started looking at stuff I even talked to a guy I used to box against. Dude, we were sparring partners in uh, Vegas. And it was the saddest conversation, man, because he could barely talk. His emotions were a mess. Like, he's just... Yikes. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But, again, that was all boxing. He boxed for a very long time. And that shit, the way we used to spar was terrible. Um, So, I started looking at it. I realized I had quite a lot of damage. But the really nice thing is, dude, you can as long as nothing traumatic happens uh you can you can fix all that shit. yeah yep. you know it might it might cost some money um and even if you can't completely fix it you can find coping mechanisms and everything else uh but so is is permanent brain damage is dementia a worry um i mean it's obviously not enough of a worry to stop you from fighting but is it a is it a concern at all
0: yeah, I mean, I definitely, I'd say. So I played hockey for years too, and um, I can just th- think back on episodes of um, during my youth when I was probably severely concussed and then acting out in you know um, unreasonable ways. So I think that um, it definitely does. Uh, it's it. I think about it, but I'm I feel so confident about the way that um, that that I know the universe works, and I really do believe that um, proper nutrition and plenty of water, that your body can definitely um, mend itself, heal itself, and repair. So some people look at the body kind of like a, like a car, and when you need a new muffler, that's it, get rid of that thing. But your body is so fantastic at, at healing and, and um, or like recompositing itself that I just feel that any kind of damage that I have done has been mended over the years. And then I do definitely occasionally, um, after sparring, maybe, um, I, I wonder like, oh man, are we going too hard or uh, could I be doing damage? But, um, yeah, I feel very, very confident about my my health and safety, and um, I'm a very defensive fighter. Also, so I feel like uh, there are folks out there who maybe take unnecessary punishment, and that's never really been me. I, I mean, I don't look too bad. I've had f- nearly forty fights, so that's kind of also what brings a, or instills some confidence. Is that that's always been kind of on my mind as is, is uh, longevity and safety. So. I, you know, as a young man, I definitely, we would, we would go too hard and too often. And, um, but yeah, at this point in my career and in my life, I feel like I have control over that part of me that wants to go hard like that. So, and then when I, um, yeah, when the day comes that I don't, no longer fight, then, um, I feel good. You know, some psychedelics, maybe some, um, some float tanks or something like that. I think that's a huge part of it is. Um, everything, anxiety, depression, um, even potential brain damage—I feel like is—it ultimately is like what your mind is is doing or thinking or chattering about. And um, even when you look at like um, like brain damage or something, I feel like if these folks would like slow down a little bit and 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 maybe take some time like that you know whatever it is flow tanks meditation that they might get some kind of improvement so um yeah everything happens for a reason though so so i i, I do wish that all combat athletes would take care of their brains i think it's the most important piece of hardware that you have and without it you're the worst fighter on planet earth
2: <laughs> yeah and, and i think i think People are getting so much smarter. I think most of the gyms are taking that approach where they realize sparring isn't important. I mean, because that's where the real damage is coming from. It's the, you know, you get a concussion, you don't let it heal, you get another concussion. Um, I write about it in the book about, uh, dude, I I had terrible concussions, and then I had a car accident, and then I was back in the gym, like, the next day, and I had another concussion. Yeah, of course. I was like, what a fucking idiot. Uh, Three in a row, you know? And uh, so I think now the guys know more being careful but uh and then just really being committed to okay i do want to get healthier i want to heal myself and uh just like you would with rehab in your your body you could rehab your brain so i think that's amazing um, now one question i don't know if you've gotten this before how important is the gym how important is loyalty I've seen a lot of fighters that would maybe go to a bigger gym. You know, maybe they're going to go to Jackson Wink or they want to go to AKA or, or somewhere where there's, you know, that's known for having a lot of fighters. Um, Why are you here? Do you think it's important? And uh, yeah, go into that. Yeah.
0: I mean, I I personally, I do for sure. I think that um, what a bigger gym may do is give you um, more opportunities you know, when the UFC needs somebody that just dropped out of a fight, you know, there's a likelihood they're going to go to a wink and be like, hey, who do you guys have? So, social sport fighting probably not going to be on the top of that list, but I do, even if I went over to Lausanne's or whatever, which is right, you know, right across the way, not very far, but it. It feels as though it is a crutch of sorts so I see a lot of people leave their gym and start training elsewhere and then nothing changes or maybe they do hit a a patch of success but it's not long before they're either blaming the new people or they're on to the next gym so I personally think it's incredibly important I think my coach Bill Mahoney he's taught me so much um, even more than just martial arts, he really is part of the reason that I'm as mature an individual as I am now. So, I don't know if I would have been able to get that elsewhere. And I really want, when I completely break through and become whatever it is that I'm on my on my way to being, uh, I would want to know that I did it myself. So, I recently pissed off um, one of the like major honchos around here, Mark DeLagrati, oh, wow. and he had. He, he, He had been putting things online, not multiple things, but he commented online about the fact that I was gonna lose a fight to one of his guys and then I beat his guy, and I might have told him to suck my dick or whatever, (laughs) so, uh, after the fight. So he was mad and he essentially said like, you're never getting in the UFC. And it was almost like, if I need to be friends with that guy to get to the UFC, I'm good, I'll just be one of the greatest that never went there then, because I would rather get there and be like, see, I knew I was gonna do it anyway, than have to like, yeah, schmooze or go to another gym or whatever. Um, I think you can get good training, great training with any single person. I really do. Um, It's more about what you're doing. If you're so focused on your training partners that you're letting that mess with your progress, that's your fault. With the YouTube and things that we have and all the information that's on there, I don't need to go to Henzo Gracie's to learn footlocks. I can just go on YouTube and they got amazing stuff. So I, I really do believe I believe that sometimes that is a mental deficiency that I see in people when they're moving gyms and things. So um, even Henry Corrales, this last guy, he had been going out and supplementing his wrestling training with like with Henry Cejudo. And some people might be like, oh, no, he's wrestling with Henry Cejudo. What am I going to do? I personally think that that's just somebody who maybe lacks in confidence, and now they want to fill that up with, I train with Henry Cejudo. So yeah, I'm very, very secure with um, who I train with and where I train, and it's more about me than anything. So um, yeah, and we're real close to being like right back on top, South Shore sport fighting. So I'm very excited to be doing it.
2: That's awesome. Now, let's say when you do stop fighting, would you continue to be in martial arts? Do you think you would be a teacher? Do you think you can get? Is is that a draw for you?
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I'm always um just driving on the road and seeing four lease, four lease, three thousand square feet here, the, you know, four thousand there. So, yeah, that is definitely the plan. So whether it be cupcakes, MMA, or cupcake sport fighting or something on that line along those lines i'm, I'm already right now teaching and have been you know uh, personal training and things for quite a while so um yeah to be able to uh, establish myself as a as a top trainer in the area is most definitely a, a goal so and and just with um you know money financial goals it's just the most um accessible route i think to, mm. to to sustain success would be um, I'm, I'm a brown belt now so get that black belt in jujitsu be able to um you know teach some very high level gi Jitsu and then being a uh, bellator and soon to be ufc vet then um you know we'll be uh, well on our way to um to having that reputation that i've been trying to build for a long time so most definitely we i have a uh, kid that I'm going to be uh, coaching that's going to fight in August, August 21st up in New Hampshire in his first ever uh, MMA fight and last year I fought on a card and coached, a cornered a guy on the same night so um, yeah, being a teacher is something that I, I really enjoy doing and, and look forward to doing very soon
2: That's awesome man, and that just makes so much sense, you get to continue to do what you love, uh, you put in all this time now you get to share it so I think that's awesome uh, one of the things Down the road Who knows when it's going to happen But we talked a little bit about Maybe you doing it, Try not to die with me I think yeah, that would yeah. be Fucking awesome uh, But the good thing is too Like I was just telling uh, Matt Santos about this Because he's, he's actually Working on one It's uh, We were getting He was getting pretty good And then pandemic hit And we just put it all To the side Yeah um, and i was like man it doesn't matter because i have so many in the works that like whenever it hits it hits so that door is always open for yes. you i think it'd be incredible uh, yeah so I, I i you're one of the guys i would like to create with i think that'd be cool that so, would be very cool yeah so but that'll be after fighting i'll be when when you're ready we'll, we'll figure out what what the right thing to do is uh we're actually when i get back home we're actually talking about uh, doing a trying to Die uh board game really yeah that so, is amazing yeah so i think that should be pretty cool Definitely. Uh, and uh, the next guy I have coming up well I don't know if it's going to be book 4 or book 5 but Steve Montgomery, he's a fighter out of uh, American Top Team okay. and he's got a really cool one called uh, Try Not To Die Super High and then he's going to have another one trying Not To Die in Costa Rica Nice. Um, so yes, we got a pretty crazy lineup um, what other now do you have any other passions or hobbies or is your life you know, pretty much just focused on fighting and martial arts
0: yeah so I mean other than fighting and martial arts I play video games that's about all I'd say that I, I tend to do so I, I don't go out almost pretty much ever you know my girlfriend's actually always bugging me because we don't do anything new mm-hmm. so um, yeah and I, I don't drink even socially um, I, I, yeah so it's literally like the gym to train myself, the gym to train others, and then I play whatever it may be, mostly League of Legends. That's my main g- gig. I freaking love that game. It's one of the most viewed games uh, in the world. Um, and the tournaments fill freaking stadiums and stuff. It's crazy. And um, there's a ranking system that is like addicting. So, you you know, if you get to a high enough rank, you could theoretically be like a pro gamer. So, I mean, I've been playing that game for about a decade and it's just, uh, it has me hooked again right now. I've been playing a ton again. So, um, yeah, in my downtime, I'm a gamer and it's even on my Instagram. I think, I think I put it on there because it's just like, it came down to, it. I was like, man, what do I do? And it's like not much. So whether it's me man- like trying to manifest stuff or play video games and then, um, And then uh, training—that's about it. I was literally in the hotel room for my Bellator fight, and I'm like sitting there playing—you know—games for like eight hours a day because I'm quarantined. And I was thinking, like, man, I'm literally like playing video games as if I'm training or something. uh, It's—I don't know if it's healthy addiction, but um, but I love it.
2: No, I, I think we all need downtime. I often get upset at myself when I do play video games. And this is embarrassing, but uh, my wife and I got addicted to Fortnite because of my son. Okay. Dude, he's eight years old, and he destroys us. We're fucking awful. But it's also interesting to see just how like those games are designed to addict you. You know, it's like you get the little rewards. Oh, Flash you gone. get another skin. Exactly. Oh, you get this. Oh, 100%. you got the, yeah. Next level. Oh. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's I always just laugh about it, like because my wife, you know, high functioning attorney, and you know, you wouldn't expect us to be playing, but it's those little things that just keep us coming back. And, Dopamine. Yeah, yeah,
0: I know. I know. It is. It is. It's very, and that's what all games have done now. You, you had like the. Um, Role-playing games that use like the experience bars to kind of addict people, and then now the shooter games have implemented the same thing. And then they have every game has skins that you can buy, which kids love. Uh, Everyone loves them, but kids especially love them. So, yeah, it's it's incredible what they've been able to do to monetize this. It's one of the biggest industries, I think, on the planet. It probably top fucking fifteen or something like that, if not higher. So. Yeah, video games are very, very fun. You still playing Fortnite right now?
2: Yeah, we we do. We even brought our Xbox with us, but we couldn't get it hooked up on the hotel uh, for whatever reason. Yeah, uh, sure. But uh, yeah, we were even going to just sit in the hotel and play it, but uh, luckily it's not working, so we're finding other shit to do. Uh, But I mean, I think that's important too. When someone is passionate about what they're doing, when they're trying to be incredibly successful, they're not gonna have a lot of time to fuck around with a bunch of different shit. Uh, you know, so I completely get why you have you have fighting, you have video games to so relax a little bit and like that's the extent of the day when I, I remember when I was trying to fight, I didn't have that kind of focus, but it was work, you know, and yeah, then whatever yeah. time I didn't have working, like then it was in the gym and that was it. Like that was life.
0: So Yep, yep. Yeah, I'm blessed to be able to train folks and teach classes to like to work. So sometimes yeah. work doesn't even feel like work. But um yeah, it's a very very fun. I love video games, especially uh, competitive ones with against other people. Even Fortnite, I've played some Fortnite too. Very very fun. Just so frustrated. Yes. <laughs>
2: Fuck yeah. Those motherfuckers build <laughs> so high. Oh yeah yeah yeah. My, my 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 son just yeah. He's like, I'm gonna crank '90s on you. Oh, oh. That's and, uh, cool.
1: yeah. That's <laughs> awesome.
2: Yeah, he 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 destroys us. It's so embarrassing. Are you going to uh, Cage Titans oh, this yeah. weekend? Yeah, you going? Well. The we have four tickets okay, on the okay. floor. I got them for uh, Connor Matthews. Yeah, yeah, okay, uh, yeah that's... But now my wife is like, I don't know if I want to be in a crowded place with a bunch of people. I was like, that even that thought for me man I, i've had social anxiety generally if i go somewhere i would have to be drunk or really high to yeah, deal okay. with it I, i've done a lot better but even loud noises whatever else i'm like fuck we're gonna be in the middle we're gonna be right by the cage there's gonna be all these drunk mass holes all around us uh, and, and i, and I yeah. told her i was like i was like you might get beer thrown on you she's like i don't care about any of that uh, <laughs> she's just <laughs> she's been a little worried about covid and everything sure uh so i'm not a hundred percent positive if we're going but we do have the four tickets i want to go and mainly like it's just such cool memories being back in this area i keep getting the memories on facebook and just because of that fight was so cool seeing your fight there seeing connor's fight there i know it's That'll wild cool. to think
0: that he fought that long ago i don't even he's such a young guy and uh like an upcoming prospect right now and then i, I forget sometimes that he fought like 10 years ago it's wild, yeah so yeah before his
2: abused. before his military uh stint. Yep. Yeah, so that was—I uh, think he might have been—I think he was 19 at the time. But I remember talking to him at Los Angeles like right after the fight, and uh, but yeah, he had an impressive fight too. Yeah, he's an animal. So what do you have lined up? You, you mentioned you have a fight in August. August 1st against uh, Wilson Reyes, who is a
0: ex-UFC fellow. He fought at 125. He actually fought uh, Demetrius Johnson for the oh, title wow. at one point. He was seven and six in the UFC. He's coming up to 135 to fight me in San Diego uh, at Cage Warriors. Oh, so awesome! So their first um, American show, I believe. Uh, so huge opportunity for a, for a great promotion on uh, Fight Pass as well. So and then such a credible opponent. Beating him really does put me like right there for the UFC to hopefully pick me up right then. But you know we'll just keep smashing if we have to yeah. <laughs> a- until we get there. Um, yeah, I'm very excited for it.
2: That's awesome. And San Diego is close enough to where I can just drive down, so I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go check out that fight. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yes, I would love that. That'd be dope. And if you're out for a bit, I can come up to L.A. and hang out. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, now, if it were up to you, how often would you be fighting? Would it be like once every three months or... Could you go even more than that? Yeah,
0: I mean, I probably could go a little more than that if possible, or if need be. If the UFC were the ones, uh, especially you know, making the offer, then I would definitely do more. But uh, yeah, once every three months is pretty solid. Thirty-four right now. I figure I want thirty pro wins. That's like my my uh, bucket list goal right now. That's kind of the the new number that I've focused on. So uh, that gives me nine more fights as of right now, if not more. So we'll see. But um, yeah. So once every three months for the next. Next, like f- 5 years or so and then uh, and then I can ride off into the sunset so uh, yeah, I, the cutting weight is is a is not an easy thing. So I'm still, especially probably more actually. I'm probably cutting more than I was back when we talked, um, like back in the day. So um, yeah, I'm dehydrated dehydrated from 151 and a half last time down to 135.75. Right. So straight dehydrated that water about 15, 16 pounds. So I'm very prepped drank a ton of water my body is so clean at that point that it comes off relatively easily but the last two pounds is always tough and then um yeah like replenishing is not an easy thing this last time especially I was cramping like crazy my muscles all of a sudden just start seizing I'm like walking up the stairs after the weigh-ins and then I'm like falling down and people are like looking at me like oh you all right, dude and it's like yeah no big deal (laughs) just cut 16 pounds I'm putting it back in we'll be alright and it did it went back in I felt fantastic the next day so it's more about it's like a science um, experiment every time but now I've really got it down to a science or, or really down like to a method so uh, but it that's probably the toughest part just like having to dehydrate every like two months would be kind of tough so I like that three month layoff really kind of get my body back uh, to normal and then uh, jump right back in so it's been May to August would be roughly that amount of time so it's pretty perfect and I'm going to hopefully be fighting though in uh, September as well so I don't want to look past a guy like Wilson Reyes but um, yeah we got to be confident and smashing these guys so i'm intending on walking pretty much through weight race and then on to a world title for another organization in september so um in that case i'd be making like a 35 40 day turnaround but mm. uh, it's going to be all about being as optimal as possible i'm not going to be able to drink too much soda after the fight i'm probably not going to be able to eat crispy cream unfortunately and things like that i'm going to have to be relatively disciplined after but um but yeah, I'm just so excited to be able to do it. <laughs> now without being cheesy. So many people in this life, in this world, matrix, whatever, aren't doing what they want. More, most people aren't. You know, most people are. You could say unlucky or what have you. There. So to be so blessed and lucky to have the support system I have, and then the people that I have around me, it just feels so good. So to be able to get in there and and test my myself, um, and and just kind of represent all these people that are, that are behind me. It feels so good. So I'm super super excited to do it again.
2: That's awesome. Now, last question. You mentioned something about the 40 40 wins um, or however maybe another nine fights, 30 wins. Um, do you think like Do you think it would be easy at any point to walk away from the sport? Do you think it's gonna be? It seems like it'd be incredibly difficult. I see guys a lot of times are like, uh, one more fight, one more fight. Uh, do you think you'll be able to set a goal and be like okay I reached my goal now that's it yeah i I hope
0: so I, I see it see that in my head um, you know then when that day does come it's it's different and also like do you know do you do I achieve that goal if we get to like the end of the road and then I haven't got to that uh, that number that I wanted then it could be uh, there could be some reservation about about quitting or what have you but um, as of right now, loving it so much it's it is hard to think about just walking away suddenly but um but at the same time i do feel lazy sometimes and i do feel sore you know i do hill sprints for the first time after a few weeks and my knees kind of hurt or something and i'm like oh man there will come a day where it's gonna be like it's gonna feel good to not have to do and to work as hard but um It's tough, man. Having as much fun as I did in that last fight, if that continues, um, it's going to be very hard to walk away because... It you know it feels like Tom Brady throwing touchdown passes. He's just like, why would I stop? Are you kidding? I'm 48 years old or whatever. A guy could be doing it for another decade. But if it's easy for him, it's like why not? So that's I mean, if it really does feel easy for the next five six years, I may stay in there for a little while longer. You got Mike Brown and Mike Brown, um, who just knocked a dude out. Oh, he's yeah. like 40 years old and he's looking friggin' good. Mm-hmm. So I really do think things that we know about nutrition and what we know about the human body and And how every individual is so different, um, it's going to be tough to walk away. But I do believe that once I um, feel that I've accomplished what I've come here to do, that I'll, I'll be able to make that decision. So.
2: Awesome, man. Well, dude, I appreciate this. Um, where should people uh, check you out? Where are you most active? Do you have a website? Where, where should people go to check you out? Yeah,
0: cupcakes Johnny Campbell on Facebook, and then Johnny CC MMA on Instagram and Twitter. My Instagram is probably the most active, but um, yeah, I'm pretty active on social media in general. You always see me on the internet there, chirping or you know sharing things or just trying to keep that hype uh alive and i really do feel that uh, i am an entertainer as well as a fighter so and part of that entertainment is keeping people kind of hooked in that off season so Johnny johnnyccmma on
2: instagram that'd be great awesome man yeah if you guys haven't seen well whether you've seen him or not definitely keep watching him um all right man thank you so much for doing this awesome to reconnect thank and you. uh yeah i guess i will be seeing you shit in august in san yeah, diego absolutely Dope. And maybe a uh, cage diamonds, maybe. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I if, if, I, if I talk her into it. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. All right, man. Thank you. Two
1: minutes to midnight, November 14th, 2061. You ain't going to puke, are you, kid? C.O. Campbell asked. Troy Edgefield wasn't used to being called kid. At 36 years old, he was bigger and badder than all the other correctional officers, and most of the prisoners. Even as he caught his reflection in the gatehouse's bulletproof window, he looked nothing less than hard, and if he hadn't gotten the referral from his father, he'd be on the other side with the animals, the ones he was about to put down. Troy hated Campbell for his cushy job, Checking IDs, scanning for weapons, answering phones. Why don't you have another drink? All in good time, don't you worry. Campbell's head seemed to have a sunspot for each of his sixty years. He shoved a finger in his nose and glanced at his monitor. In an hour, we'll both be done with this shithole. Campbell pulled his finger out and wiped a gooey booger on the control panel. After the cleanup, it'd be the front desk of the new orphanage. So, you're really going to retire? The fuck do you think? Troy had nothing to say, but that was never a problem for Campbell. Well, let's get this over with. I got a bottle waiting at home. I still got fifteen minutes. So do they, Campbell laughed. It was almost midnight. Now, Troy really did feel like he might puke. The higher-ups had given Troy a choice. Push the button, or find another job. Campbell stretched his neck, the rapid-fire clacking of vertebrates. He groaned and sniffed. The old man had always disgusted Troy, but he'd give anything to trade places. Not gonna happen, kid. I didn't say nothing. Campbell leaned forward and put his grizzled face to the window. Troy realized Campbell had the reader on. All of Troy's thoughts were scrolling across his monitor. Push it for me you better erase that shit. I will, as long as you do your job. Now get to it before the LT calls and has both our asses. The wrinkled old man looked like he'd probably have a heart attack within a week. Troy thought about all the things he'd do to Campbell's pretty young wife, and headed for the door. Campbell laughed. In your fucking dreams, kid. Troy didn't turn back, just waited for Campbell to buzz him through. The corridor was long and cold, long enough to think about all the faces he was about to see for the last time. Troy hit the end of the corridor, put his face to the retinal scanner. The steel door slid open, and Troy braced for the screams, but it was deathly quiet. Had things calmed down since he left the unit, or did Campbell somehow fulfill Troy's request? Troy noticed the master silence switch was activated. He must have flicked it on before he walked out. If someone wanted to be heard, they'd have to push their button and wait for Troy to acknowledge. And that would not be happening. Troy stepped inside the giant rotunda, but didn't look up at the four stories, the prisoners trapped behind their soundproof glass. He focused on the bubble in the center of the room, the common area known as the pit. The bubble, which looked nothing like the steel sphere his dad had worked in twenty years before, let Troy see everything. He could spin in all directions, move around the pit, even float to different levels to check on the inmates. But it also meant the animals could see him too. Raging eyes peering above the fogged up glass. No one would be getting out of his cell today, but even if one did... He wouldn't dare come within 15 feet of Troy's bubble. The chip at the base of every inmate's spine and the pulsing electromagnetic field circling the station guaranteed Troy's safety. He climbed in, locked the clear handle, and fired up his monitor. Usually, Troy preferred working in the open, where he could see everyone, but tonight he wished for steel walls. Troy used to love the silence. It was soothing, but the night, it felt suffocating. The air seemed too thick. Troy undid the top button of his uniform, concentrated on the monitor flashing the status of every inmate. Troy didn't have to look around to know the animals were screaming his name, begging for his attention. His father taught him to call them that, animals. Told him it's to remind the COs there's a separation. The inmates aren't us, his father had said, but they need our care. That's what Troy thought about as he stared at the white button. At least he tried. Across the pit, inmate Johnson knelt in prayer behind the glass of 1023, his tearing eyes locked with Troy's. He mouthed the words, ''Don't do it.'' Troy turned back to the monitor, clicked on the air, which only blew out this warm mist. He'd put in a repair request two weeks ago, but higher-ups probably saw no reason to fix something that wouldn't be used after tonight. "'Visual confirmation required,' the automated voice said. Troy felt his throat swell. There was no way he could hover by each of their rooms, watch them pound their doors and scream. If someone had escaped, so be it.' but Campbell's voice clicked in. Video's recording, kid. Troy knew it wasn't live, and there was no reason for someone to watch this later, but he couldn't risk altering protocol, not this close to the orphanage job. He hovered out into the pit, spun in a slow circle, pretended to count, but focused just above each cell, above the pleading fists. Then he rose. Second floor. 2097, old man Thompson, a pedophile rendered harmless, sat on his bunk, head drooped onto his chest. Third floor, 3016, Gomez, a leftover from the failed revolution. The guy claimed he had nothing to do with La Causa. A self-proclaimed peaceful man, he sat on his bunk, rocking gently in prayer. Fourth floor, 4058. Crawford, a wiry freak, pressed his naked body against the glass, moved his arms and legs slightly up and down, doing his best impression of Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man. 4025, Hayden, a 30 year old on his final leg of a 12 year stint. Hayden had burned down the way station that terminated his mom. Troy didn't blame him, but he couldn't tell the guy. Until yesterday, Hayden thought he'd be out in three weeks. On the way down, Troy pretended to scratch over his eye, typed in the visual confirmation codes. A loud thud rang out behind him. Afraid the unbreakable glass had finally given way, Troy spun and searched the wall. It was only Worden on the second floor. Generally, the walls kept in the noise, but Worden was determined to be heard and seen. Troy backed into his chair, stared at the bloodied glass in disbelief. Worden had already knocked himself out three times during the shift. Troy had called for medics, but Campbell said they'd already been let go for the night. The infirmary closed. Troy thought the last blow had finished Worden, but the stocky bull staggered to his feet, walked to the back of his cell. He smiled before he ran forward and smashed his forehead into the glass, crumbled to the floor. The vitals showed Warden was still alive, but barely. A loud thump came from the third floor. The new fish in thirty forty-five ran over, and picked up his chair, threw it again at the glass. Any other night, that behavior wouldn't be tolerated, but Troy didn't see the harm in letting it continue. The chair would be the only thing to break. Troy didn't know what crime the fish had committed but guessed he wasn't a violent offender as the man still had all his limbs. Troy punched a few keys and checked the screen. The guy was an IP lifter, hadn't hurt anyone, but it was his third offense and he'd been sentenced to five years. The guy had only been in for three days. A handful of inmates were lying on their beds. Some were pacing back and forth, signing to the individuals in the rooms around them. Most were standing in front of the glass windows, screaming at Troy. He couldn't hear them, but he knew exactly what they were saying. Each and every one of them knew what was going to happen. They were still allowed televisions, a right the controllers would never dare take away. The inmates all knew they were going to die tonight. There were only four minutes to go. Troy looked down again at the white button. It was so small so easy to press. Even a child could have done it. One pound of pressure and the switch from prison to orphanage would begin. He'd have his job and a future for him and his wife. Troy closed his eyes and pictured her face. He could never tell her about this. It'd kill that beautiful smile of hers. Ringing filled the bubble. Troy picked up the handset. He knew it wasn't the governor calling with a pardon. Even if it was, it wouldn't make a difference. Nothing could stop this. The controllers had spoken. The decision was final. At midnight, the button would be pushed. Over the man, a phone barked, Did you hear what I said? I'm sorry, sir, who am I speaking with? Colonel Hayden. Troy glanced at 4025, wondered if the name was simply coincidence. Sorry, sir, I missed it. I said, it's two minutes to midnight. Are you ready? Two minutes. Copy. Troy hung up and brought the bubble down to the center of the pit. He turned to room 1006. Inmate Terrence Potter, the group's self-appointed spokesperson, was sitting in his wheelchair, repeatedly pushing his call button. Instead of turning away, Troy reached for Potter's intercom switch. Potter was one of the nicest men Troy had ever met, in and out of prison. The former priest was guilty of running an underground Catholic church, sneaking food to the poor, and faking sterilization papers. He was the kind of man that would have tried to help Troy's brother, Robert. The kind of man the controllers abhorred, four severed limbs to prove it. Addressing the man in a way he hadn't dared to before this night, Troy said, "'Yes, father?' "'The white-haired man gazed at Troy. "'C.O. Edgefield, "'I understand that you have no choice in this matter, "'that you are only doing your job. "'I forgive you for what you are about to do, "'but I cannot speak for the others. "'Please look into your heart and let them speak. "'Let them say their peace, "'even though it will fall on deaf ears,' "'Potter motioned to his fellow inmates. "'Let them speak to one another.' Potter was correct about Troy not having a choice. If Troy didn't do his job, he could be arrested, and someone else would push the button. Prisoners no longer had a place in society, but this wasn't the same as shooting an escaping prisoner. He'd promised his dad he wouldn't be like the others. Still, he couldn't flick the communal speaker switch. Potter was one thing, but he wouldn't be able to face the onslaught of anger... The crying voices begging for mercy. Campbell clicked in. Ah, oh, just let him talk. Negative, Troy said. We're under two minutes. Kid, let them hear something. Why, it's not going to make any difference. Shit, nothing does. Troy clicked off Campbell's voice. Fuck Campbell. The man didn't have to come back, face the empty cells, knowing what he'd done. The only sound in the bubble was Troy's breath. He clenched his teeth, pictured his wife, Laura, the woman who thought she married a decent man, a kind man, one minute to midnight. Even animals deserve compassion, his father's voice played in his head. How could Troy ever look at Laura again if he couldn't even live up to those simple words? Troy clicked on the communal speakers. The rotunda's silence was shattered with shrieks and curses, a multitude of prayers rolling underneath the wailing. Inmates yelled for Troy to open their doors. Others begged for a phone to call. Some said they forgave him. Most damned him to hell. Troy wanted to close his eyes, wanted to run, but he owed them this, so he stared into their eyes. He brought the bubble high into the air as hatred showered him like a tidal wave. Ten seconds left. Even if these voices would haunt him forever, Troy refused to think of anything else, to hear anything but their words. The clock clicked. Midnight. The new day arrived with Troy pressing the white button. Cloudy gray gas poured from the ceiling vents and each cell. Most inmates fell to the floor and covered their mouths as the deadly fog descended. The brave ones stood tall until the gas hit their skin. The controllers had promised a quick, painless death. Not this. The men clawed at their frying skin, their fingers pulling off piles of melted flesh. Troy blindly slapped at his control panel. Silence, but too late. The blood-gurgling cries echoed in his mind. He watched as the gas ate away inside and out. Some of the prisoners wrapped blankets around their bodies. It was no use. The gas found them. It found everyone. It looked like when an egg cracks in boiling water. The lucky ones died instantly from the shock, but others were still flailing, writhing for a minute. Two minutes... A few of those still alive were already on their way to the death chamber, but the rest were in for petty crimes. On the second floor, inmate Fulton, a father of three who'd embezzled for his kid's college, tore at his wrists with his fingernails. Inmate Baker had his head buried in the toilet as his back sizzled and split until Troy saw the man's spleen. He was one of the last to go, but he ended up just as dead as everyone else. Troy's shaking hands picked up the handset and dialed the controller's headquarters. When the mechanical voice answered, Troy said, This is CEO Edgefield, reporting from San Angeles, California, prison 146, medium custody. Everywhere he turned, piles of blistering flesh. I'm confirming cleansing sequence. Troy slammed the phone and looked around the bloodied cells. Four hundred lives. In less than three minutes, the map on his monitor blinked over San Angeles. Troy ran the fingers of the two continents combined, little lights blinking everywhere. Over 21 million people.